podcast ain't played nobody. Um, Bill, I haven't looked at the rankings at all. I, I didn't come in here prepared on purpose. I just I knew they were happening. I didn't really care. So we're going to do this in real time in which we don't guess. I actually just find out. Did you look last night? Uh, I looked at the top four to make sure Washington was fourth. That was about the extent of it. Um, all right. Do you want to – would you like to take a deep breath, like a calming breath? Align your back. Exhale through the mouth. And then just get ready to get mad. Okay. I don't even know if it's going to be that bad because I'm looking at them for the first time. <laughs> All right. uh, yeah, I don't think um, they are going to be bad. Let's go. Let's find out. Number 25, <clears throat> Pittsburgh. Number 24, Houston. 23, Virginia Tech. 22, Tennessee. 21, LSU. 20, Utah. 19, Navy. 18, Stanford. 17, Western Michigan. 16, West Virginia. 15, Florida. 14, Auburn. 13, Louisville. 12, Florida State, 11, Southern Cal, 10, Oklahoma State, 9, Oklahoma, 8, Colorado, 7, Penn State, 6, Wisconsin, 5, Michigan. And then 1 through 4 is Alabama, Ohio State, Clemson, and Washington. would like to point out, because this makes sense, Washington moved up from last week. The team that they beat is no longer ranked, but they were ranked um, last week. Did they move up by beating a ranked team or an unranked team? <laughs> um, yeah, I, I hate all these. So, okay, so um, two things. First, uh, I, I do admire the fact that this is number one, undefeated team. Number two, three, four, one lost team. Number five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, two lost teams. Why do we have a committee again? Uh, just wanted to, you know, I, I'm not sure why we need to pay however much we're paying for a committee because we can kind of do this by ourselves, I think. Um, so the other, last night I saw a lot of, I don't know if hand-wringing is the right word, but a lot of, of uh, reporter, college football writers uh, kind of arguing and, and talking a lot about, well, you know, you can't reward Ohio State or how are you going to, you know, Big Ten champion versus a non-champion. And basically what I saw a lot of was categorizing, like, how can a non-Big Ten champion be number two when the Big Ten champion is going to be five or six? How can, you know, it's still Ohio State. There's, we're still talking about teams. Um, we, the, the whole categorization thing, I think, you know, we talk a lot about precedent and I always re- make a reference to the Supreme Court, like how we, how we know how the committee is going to handle certain things after a while. But I think Ohio State this year is a reminder that we are talking about specific teams with specific schedules, uh, looking at, with, with, with looking like a specific level of quality. And that always, that's, that's always going to be number one. So, yeah, it's going to be weird this year because we're going to have Ohio State, number two. Maybe they fall to three. Maybe in a ridiculous circumstance they fall to four when Clemson and Washington get the uh, the silly little conference title bumps. But regardless, we're almost certainly going to have a one-loss Big Ten champion ahead of a two-loss Big – or excuse me, a one-loss Big Ten non-champion ahead of a two-loss Big Ten champion, and it's okay. Uh, and in different circumstances, it would not be okay. In this circumstance, Ohio State has clearly proven it's one of the three or four best teams in the country, at least, depending on what you're measuring. Meanwhile, Penn State lost to Pitt early in the year and, and got rocked by Michigan. And has well, Pitt's a ranked team of, now, Bill. Did you know that? That's, that's true. That's true. It's a quality loss. Um, For but seven since, days. Since October 1st or so, Penn State has looked like a top five team. Ohio State has looked like a top five team since September 1st. That's where they're ahead. Um, and that's okay. And I'm, I'm, I'm referencing Penn State, obviously Wisconsin. I wrote about Penn State this morning, so they're in my head. But Wisconsin, um, 
uh, kind of the same boat. They have looked very good. They've had many offensive difficulties at times this year. It cost them a little bit, but they're still, they have two losses to top five teams. They're otherwise, they've otherwise got a good resume. Ohio State has one loss to a top seven team. Meanwhile, they beat Wisconsin. They beat Oklahoma. Ohio, it's okay to not have to put a conference champion ahead of a, a, a non-champion. You don't have to do that when the instance doesn't require it. So that is, that's my one piece of advice for um, people who are kind of making themselves crazy at the moment, putting every, all teams in boxes. They're still unique teams in unique years, and, and unique things happen. Um, Houston dropped from 20th last week to 24th. Um, yep. So they they moved four spots. Wazoo last week was ranked. By the way, Wazoo lost to the four or the, the fifth best team last week, fourth best team this week, and is unranked. They were at twenty three. So we can almost presume because we don't know what happens after twenty five. Um, it's like the end of the world, <laughs> um, the source wall. Um, that Wazoo was punished as much as Houston was. Oh, uh, yeah, more or less. I mean, what's, pretty close anyway. What's awesome to do, and by awesome I mean um, we'll slowly over time make you weep, uh, is that you can take any two of these rankings week to week and extrapolate pretty much anything you want to. Yeah. That can then be proven entirely false. The premise completely erased the following week. Yeah, and this goes back to what I've always said about having uh, first Jeff Long and now Kirby Hocutt uh, explain the rankings on each show that I don't watch. Um, you know, as somebody who has gotten very used to chat, to having to explain rankings changes uh, in, in computer rankings from week to week, it really, there, there are 38 different factors and any of them can matter or might not matter at any given time. And you just don't know you know, every single week it changes. So yeah, I mean, this goes back to the whole idea of, of a weekly ranking being a really stupid idea because it's only going to make you look stupid because there's no logical set of criteria that you can apply every single week that will always work. There's always going to be a difference uh, in, in, you know, why team a is third and team B is sixth or, you know, whatever it is, there's going to be, any number of factors can push you ahead or behind and, and having somebody not only do this every week, but explain it every week is, is begging for contradictions. There's no way to do it without contradictions. So, um, you know, that's, I, I think it's a really silly process, but you know, I've had that rant before. What's the bold. I'm trying to find out what the boldest statement is on here because, uh, they have been so congruent with loss totals. So you have yeah. your, you're undefeated, your ones, your twos, your threes, your fours. Eh, there's a there's some discrepancies, but really nothing that uh, they they haven't really uh, pulled their genitalia out and and you know defied defied our our uh, perception of teams. I'll put it that way. Um, I, I would say the two things that um, I don't I guess would count as quote unquote bold, uh, or one's bold and one's important. So the bold one, I think the one thing you notice is that um, in that cluster of two lost teams. Uh, from five to ten, the Big Twelve teams are ninth and tenth, and then after the cluster of three lost teams, you have four lost Auburn, three lost Florida, and then two lost West Virginia. I think um, 
you know, first of all, that back, you know, if you look at my S&P rankings and everything else, that backs up a quality assessment, too, because Oklahoma State, I believe, offhand is the lowest ranked of these two lost teams, except for West Virginia, who's lower. At least they were. Let me see what what it is right now. But I think that's a very clear I don't want to use some, you know, indictment or something like that, but it's a very clear assessment of where the Big 12 is at the moment. Let's see. So Oklahoma is 13th in my rankings, which is, uh, well, lower than their playoff ranking, but relatively high. Oklahoma State is 25th, and now West Virginia is uh, back up to 32nd after uh, playing really well against Iowa State. So, yeah, I mean. If you you had to choose a team right now, um, so here, here's this scenario. Um, our plane of existence, current football team, you don't get to coach them. You don't get to affect them whatsoever. So think of it this way. Um, you, uh, you have to have a team fight for you, like back in medieval times, right? Uh, tribute. Okay. Okay? And your life depends on it. Would you, at this moment, pick number 14 at Auburn or number 21 at LSU? Oh, LSU. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we that's they've been better. They've been a better team over the course of the whole season. Obviously, they weren't better the week they played. But um, LSU, well, I mean, yeah, as we discussed, LSU has as good or probably a better defense as Auburn and an offense that cannot be contained by anything other than one of the 10 best defenses in the country. Auburn's offense can be contained by a lot more than that. And I think that's the difference. If, you're abso- if your life absolutely depended on it, would you pick nine and two West Virginia at sixteen, or nine and three Virginia Tech at twenty three? Are we talking about uh, you know to win a game? Mm-hmm. Uh, Virginia Tech. That that one's a lot closer. Oh well, I mean LSU Auburn's relatively close too, but yeah, I mean Virginia Tech right now. Boy, I don't know. I mean, I'm not gonna fall for the small sample thing. West Virginia looked awesome last week, but it was one week. Um, Your family is perched precariously over a vat of boiling acid, some sort of supervillain-type scenario. You need a team to win a football game, Bill. Do you pick number 11, Southern Cal? Or do you pick number 6, Southern Cal? Exactly. (laughs) Now, I understand why things are the way they are. But... But but because I but, but what I'm trying to get at is why why do this? So we got a reader question. It was actually eight days ago. So apologies for not getting to it last week. But is our friend Matt Hayes uh, Hayes Hayes one or the other H E Y E S? Um, hi guys. Not no not a question about who should and shouldn't be there. My question is this: Is a playoff spot a reward for the teams with the best resumes, or is it part of determining the national champion? It seems like the narrative is the former, and people are happy to crown the champion as the team with the best resume and not the best team. Yes, and, and that's always been the balance. Like, and, and I mean, this is I mean, I'm a numbers guy, and I, I see that I have LSU four loss LSU fifth in my S and P rankings, and I'm at peace with it. Um, so clearly. Uh, you know, I, there. When we're arguing quality, record only has so much to play. But if you're crowning a national champion, if you're trying to coax whatever you can about who's worthy of a shot at the national title after 12 or 13 games, uh, first of all, I mean that's really tough to do because it's only 12 or 13 games. You know, we have NBA playoffs, playoffs after 82. Um, you know, even ba- even even college basketball, you have 30, 31, and you get basically a couple of mulligans no matter who you are. So it's really tricky, but I, to me, 
record still does play a role in that regard. Record slash resume. So even though I think I have Wisconsin 10th, I'm at peace with them being 6th because they played Ohio State and Michigan really, really well. They beat LSU. Um, and that's you know, the only teams they've lost to were top five teams. So I'm totally cool with them being 6th uh, ahead of say, well, that's actually, you know, a terrible example because they're higher ranked than anybody else. Uh, ahead of, say, Penn State, who's probably, uh, who could probably qualify as a hotter team at the moment, or even Oklahoma, who has, um, who has maybe the best offense in the country and has, uh, has at least played a little better on defense over the last month. You can make a case that one of those two teams are hotter than Wisconsin. I am totally cool with Wisconsin being number six, even though were they to get into a playoff, maybe Penn State or Oklahoma would have slightly better odds of success. Uh, that's a weird thing to say because whoever we're talking about here would get Alabama in the first round, so you all have a 0% chance of success. But you know what I'm saying. Uh, let me jump into my pocket universe for a second in which I control everything. There's an 18 playoff. Um, we're, we're just going one through eight. But uh, what I'm going to do is sim this week and throw out the eight seed in favor of the highest-ranked G5. So, okay. Um, uh, Bama beats Florida. Um, Ohio State stays put. Clemson beats Virginia Tech. I feel confident about that. I feel confident about uh, Washington beating America's team. Uh, I feel. I think I feel pretty good about Penn State winning. Let's say that. All right. Okay. okay. So let's go. One Alabama, two Ohio State, three Clemson, four Washington. Uh, let's keep Michigan at five because they beat who I assume to be the Big Ten champion, Penn State, at six. Um, Colorado will have lost, so let's move. I mean, I'm fine. Let's, uh, who wins Bedlam real fast? Oklahoma. Okay, so Oklahoma moves up and Western Michigan moves in. Yeah. I mean, what, what, I, what I, is I, the, I what is that? You do get that damn Ohio State-Oklahoma rematch, but you know what? College football will survive, I promise. You get a Clemson-Penn State. You get Washington-Michigan-Alabama-Western-Michigan. Not perfect, but, God, it's lovely. Yeah, um, and, at the, and at worst, you switch um, – well, you can't switch OU and Penn State, obviously, uh, because Penn State has also played Ohio State. But you could easily, if worse comes to worse, switch OU and Western Michigan. I like that we're really we, every time we've done this eight the eight game sim. You and I really beat our chests uh, in agony over rematches when the you know the entire reason we have a playoff is because Alabama and LSU played each other twice in a season. Um, <laughs> so one one thing I need to reconcile. We're going to move on after after this. <sighs> I love making fun of this because it's it is bad. It's better it's better than the other bad thing that used to determine our champion. It's still bad though. Um but I am a bit of a hypocrite in that I don't know how I can reconcile my frustration with not having the best teams in and then also still feeling like you have to have a, a some sort of shot at the FBS level to to make the playoff. So I don't know if those two can coexist, and what I mean by that is in a four-team format, I think right now, maybe I'll feel different later, that the Western Michigan undefeated Boise Cinderella thing does not deserve one of those four spots in most scenarios, okay? Um, but I do feel that they do in an eight-team playoff, even at, right. even maybe even at six, and that's why I'm advocating for the expansion of the playoff. For the time being, what frustrates me is that this is not about – Pure power. Because pure power is looking at a resume. If we're going to do this thing, Bill, and you tell me if I have, if there's a logical fallacy that jumps out. We do this okay. week to week. We have amnesia. We, we drop your we, – the, the team you, that you beat that was good to raise you up is now gone into an abyss after 26. And so we don't know. If we're going to live like this, 
then why aren't we looking at the team in the moment? And then why isn't Southern Cal in the top four? I mean, I mean, it's a fair question. There is a balance there. I, I could not justify putting USC in the in the top four because the whole because. I mean, even in, you know, the S&P is a full season measure, but it still gives you, I mean, it doesn't punish you for early losses as long as you play really well. S&P only has USC at eighth. Um, So, I mean, I can't, but I mean, there's a premise there. There is a, there is a balance between best and most deserving that is impossible to get right a hundred or to, to consistently, well, like I said, you can't apply specific criteria and always get the 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 right the quote unquote right answer. Um, and so, you know, most playoffs are you know you do the you do I don't want to say bare minimum, but you do a certain amount. You get in the you, and you earn a chance at the national title, and then if you get hot uh, in the tournament, you win. Like you know the '06 St. Louis Cardinals and whatnot. In that scenario, uh, a, a team like USC, you know, I, I was just uh, kind of picturing like, you know, the FCS playoff started last week and you had, uh, it's 24 teams now, I believe. And so you had all these, um, what was it? I guess you would have what, like eight uh, for quote unquote first round matchups to determine the the top 16, basically. Um, you had all these matchups and they were almost all blowouts. Uh, but regardless, now they've got now they've narrowed it down to 16, and now it's all about heat, like North Dakota State. And North Dakota State schedules with that in mind, actually, come to think of it. I mean, they play a tough, tough schedule. Um, yeah. And they do it in, at least in part because it's going to get them primed and ready. So they are only, quote-unquote, the three seed right now. But guess what? They're they're probably in pretty good shape. And, and um I mean, it just all depends on what your intentions are. And I think a four-team playoff does a pretty good job of getting to the be- to the best part over the most – or to, excuse me, to the – I guess to the balance of the two. Because, you know, one of the ar- arguments always in college football is every game matters, right? That, that's always – the regular season matters. That's why we don't have a playoff. That's why we don't want you just getting hot at the end and winning the whole thing. And that's totally legitimate. And I think four – balances that idea reasonably well eight kind of would too eight among other things would say if you were bad and if you if you were figuring yourself out in september and then caught fire like say penn state um and you won your conference then you definitely get a spot if you win your conference you're in uh and if you're part of the group of five if you win your conference and you're the best of the five conference champions maybe you're in but you know i I don't mind four, and I don't think I ever will mind four. And and I accept that we will move to six or eight, and then ten and or twelve, and then fourteen or sixteen, because that's what's happened to every playoff bracket that we've ever created in the history of sports. So um, you know, just whenever it happens, it'll be fine too. Let's jump right into the week because it ties pretty much in everything that we're talking about. Uh, it's also obviously short because it's championship week. Um, Say goodbye to Maction. I feel like I feel like we hardly knew you this year. Um, I feel like the, the yeah, I also feel like the game quality was pretty bad this year. Um, yeah, and, it was. And maybe a good good conversation topic for the off season. By the way, every time I say that, I, I don't ever write it down, and we'll forget, <laughs> and then well, we'll complain and, in late March that we have nothing to talk about. Honestly, I'll just say this: we don't really need to talk about it because it was just a bad year. We had uh, a couple. We had a couple great wow. years in like twenty. It's been a bad like year for a while, hasn't it? Well, no, no, no. It, well, sort of. So basically, in terms of action, 2011-12 were amazing. 13-14 sucked. 
15 was awesome. Uh, not quite 2011, but very good. And 2016 sucked. I mean, I think it's just a random, you're making pairings months in advance. You don't really know. Uh, Northern Illinois kind of sucking this year took away some of the luster of like the Western Michigan and Toledo games. And I think Northern Illinois Toledo was still pretty good. So no, I, th- I just think it's, it's hard to project who's going to be good in such a high parity conference. And you're just th- kind of throwing darts. Some years you're going to have amazing games. Some you won't. We got some news for you. Um, this isn't the news part, but on Friday, uh, Ohio and Western Michigan are going to play each other in the MAC championship. Um, if there's going to be a move this season with PJ Fleck, which um, on the needle of likely, unlikely, definitely leaning likely, uh, it would happen after this game. Um, it's obviously Fleck has been no stranger to the short list since, I mean, really going back into last season. But then as soon as Purdue opened, that that was kind of the one. Uh, talked about it, Oregon, talked about, um, uh, gosh, I mean, talked about it in relation to a lot of jobs that aren't even open. Um, if he makes a move this year, um, it will be after this game. He has been, um, he and his camp have been um, really good, I think, about not not having anything leak. Um, he wants yeah. to focus on winning a MAC championship going undefeated. Now, what happens with a bowl, I, I really don't know. The only precedent we have for this is uh, Dave Doran leaving uh, Northern Illinois before they were sacrificed to Florida State in what was that the Orange Bowl, Bill? Yeah, yeah. yeah and by the way, Bowl. down seven points heading into the fourth quarter. I always have to mention that. Anyway, yeah, but then didn't they just like wake up and obliterate them? Yeah, they, I mean, yeah, they pulled away in the fourth quarter. But if it was close after three, then it wasn't a complete uh, waste of everybody's time. I guess. Anyway, um, that's that's a talking point that I always hammer home. I'm not going to go chronologically. Um, uh, watchability on this week is better than expected because uh, if you have the time, I won't. I'll be preoccupied and I'm, I'll be on assignment for part of this. Uh, check out the FCS playoffs. Um, but also the conference title games themselves. Uh, my only complaint is that I don't get to watch Clemson VTech and Penn State Wisconsin separate of themselves. They're on at the same time. LaTeX and Western Kentucky, that's going to be fun to watch. Um, you know, stakes are what they are, but... Uh, really every major conference championship game with the exception of the SEC is going to be an interesting to watch game. Uh, and then, yeah. I mean, you just go ahead and lump uh, Bedlam in here as a conference title game. Okay. Yeah. I mean, they're no, not, I mean, they're, you're, they're you're not right. bad football games. As much as we talk about conference championships and, and are they superfluous and, and we LOL at the Big 12, this is not a bad slate of games. No. No. Um, I mean, it's, it's, it's championship week. It should be this way. And, um, and even like... Some of the games that maybe, you know, even with Alabama-Florida being most likely terrible, being the most likely 27-9 to finish of all time, um, you know, there's still, there are still a lot of stakes here, and you could say that the playoff helps that, um, you know, because we haven't just gone ahead and crowned Alabama so far. But, no, I mean, this is – we have five – we have ten – yeah, basically all ten conference titles will be determined, even the Sun Belt without a conference title game because – Arkansas State went and got whooped by Louisiana Lafayette, and so now their situation's really weird. Um, but, yeah, it should be good. There's no, there's less frequency. There's going to be more lingering on one game uh, here and there, uh, and we're going to get a lot of good games, or at least a lot of important games that have a decent amount of magnitude to them. I believe – I'm looking it up. I believe 17 starts the Sun Belt Conference Championship. Yeah, yes. I think so. I'm yeah, I'm pretty sure. Really fast. Come in. Oh no, I am I am incorrect, my friend. 
They will do the same format next year, and then in eight teams. Oh, so Coastal doesn't count until right. So Coastal's still in a transition. Oh well, wait, um, yeah, no, 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 because Coastal's coming in, but then Idaho and New Mexico State are leaving. So right, uh, they're uh, not yeah, done. Yeah, yeah, no, they don't have that yeah. all settled. Still trying to manipulate that. So um, not the end of the world. And by the way, Powder River um, hosting the Mountain West Conference Championship. God, I wish yep. I was there. <laughs> so wish I was um, there. So I'm going to derail us now because I just typed this up and I don't waste it. I, we eat every part of the cow, and if I do any work at all, I'm going to share it. So while uh, while you were talking through that, I just went through, uh, because we were talking about the FCS, just pounded out a 2014 playoff to see what, would it, what it would be like, to kind of taste it a little bit. Yeah, um, oh, using the FCS format in FBS? Yes. Okay. Um, except with, with official seeds, so it wasn't just like um, you know regional matchups or whatever, uh, okay. including every conference champion. You would have, uh, using the playoff rankings and then squeezing in the unranked play, uh, conference champions at the end, more or less. Okay. Uh, you would have one Alabama placing the win- uh, playing the winner of 16 West Virginia and 17 Western Michigan. You would have eight Colorado facing the winner of Oklahoma versus Troy slash Appalachian State slash Arkansas State, however that works out. Okay. You'd have, which Oklahoma, Troy, hell yeah. Um, four Pointsy. Washington versus Pointsy. For Washington versus the winner of 13 Louisville, 20 Utah. Louisville, Utah would be extremely watchable for the contrast. Uh, five Michigan takes on the winner of tw- <laughs> takes on the winner of 12 Florida State and 21 LSU. I'm so sorry, Michigan. Uh, you got screwed. Man, that's some football. I like that. Yeah. Um, six Wisconsin versus the winner of the Helton Bowl. 11 USC versus 12 uh, 22 Western Kentucky. Oh man. Uh, also three, really three, good. Three uh, Clemson taking on the winner of 14 Auburn and 19 Navy. How the hell did Auburn get in there? Because well, they, they're pretty good. So you, you, every week we do this, you forget that Auburn's actually ranked pretty high. Uh, seven no, no, Penn no, no, State. No, I just don't think they're good. I didn't forget. Oh, no, I, I, I think they're pretty good. Except they, they kind of don't have, know how to play offense again. Yeah, um, seven Penn not. State. Seven Penn State taking on the winner of Oklahoma State and either San Diego State or Wyoming because of who we are. We'll say Wyoming. Out of uh, river. And then two Ohio State taking on the winner of 15 Florida and 18 Stanford. That game's gross. We won't talk about that one. Um, but so, so, okay, so playing this out just based on your hotness premise, mm-hmm. which, which sounds pretty awesome. Uh, let's say that Alabama takes on West Virginia in the second round and wins. Uh, they could, e- I mean, that could easily be Western Michigan. I don't want to shade Western Michigan, but whatever. Uh, you would still get Alabama versus Holgorsen, which is fun. You'd probably get Colorado, Oklahoma, uh, in, in the round of 16. Although Troy, you know, can score. You'd probably get Washington versus, I don't know, either Louisville or a rematch versus Utah. Either one yeah. would be kind of fun. Um, but then the, the interesting parts are, you know, in the middle where you'd have five Michigan playing either Florida state or LSU and Michigan's awesome, but that, that, that wouldn't be a toss up game, but it would be like a, a 60, 40, 65, 35 game in Michigan's favor. They could easily lose. So here's where, you know, when we talk about hotness versus, uh, you know, quality or, or whatever, you could have number 21 LSU in the quarterfinals against Washington, who they could beat. Um, so you could have like one Alabama versus 21 LSU in the semifinals. And when I say that out loud, you know, with college football, you are, you are either okay with that or you are aghast at that idea. And I think every single person is different. 
I'm definitely not aghast. We will probably repeat ourselves in the, in the couple episodes recently about the logistics of this. But well, right. Yeah, yeah, no, this isn't about logistics. Fantastic. It's just about... Yeah. It's... Yeah, no, just this is purely about the idea of best versus hottest slash most deserving. Yeah, or excuse that. me, best slash hottest versus most deserving, I should say. Well, I think it's fantastic until you actually have to apply it to the arcane politics of the sport. Um, I, think that's, I think that's awesome. It's fantastic. Uh, anything else you want to touch on the weekly schedule? Um, obviously, you can kind of run through them pretty fast. It's just sort of the, the dead and lifeless bodies of the of the Sun Belt and the Big 12 while everyone else plays a conference championship. They got the FCS underneath that. Um, uh, by the way, I think you can watch the if, – if you are so inclined to catch, you know, uh, North Dakota, Eastern Washington, Citadel, those guys, I think I think you can get them on the on Watch ESPN. I'm pretty sure they're, they're airing all of them this year. Yeah, I believe they are now. They didn't do quite all of them last week, but I think they do all of them moving forward. Uh, and unless you have a terrible uh, cable slash internet provider like we do that doesn't have Watch ESPN, uh, right. yes, you can watch all those games. Um, Georgia Southern could be interesting to watch only because a very good Troy team is coming in. They may be backed into a corner in firing a first-year head coach, uh, a first-time first-year head coach. Um, I really, I was mad because I went back and read my Georgia Southern preview a couple weeks ago when they started, or a few weeks ago when they really started falling off. And I was, in my head, I had mentioned that this was a majorly risky hire uh, and that, um, you know, anytime Georgia Southern, as we've discussed, kind of uh, skews away from its roots as an option offense, things go very poorly. uh, And yet they continue and yet they've done it again here. Uh, unfortunately I hedge like crazy in those previews and I, I kind of use kid gloves at times. So I basically just said, it's a, you know, it's something to watch the, uh, the changing away or, or not hiring a pure option guy to run your offense instead kind of going with a, yeah, we'll do it. We're going to do some other things too. It's, uh, it's, uh, something to maybe keep track of or however I put it in my hedgy terms. Um, so I was disappointed. I thought I could say I told you so, and I, I really can't. But regardless, yeah, this has played out. Like, I, like maybe we discussed a little bit on this show, um, just that they kind of, every time they go for, away from their roots too far, they screw up, and yet they manage to sometimes go away from their roots yet again. Uh, Clemson and Virginia Tech, can you talk me into Virginia Tech winning this game? Sure. Um, they have a very good defense, yeah. and Clemson's special teams isn't very good. So if you've got those two, you got a shot. If you, you know, if special teams not special teams doesn't end up mattering in every game, but if it does, then that favors Virginia by at least a little bit. I feel like and if this game ends up with an upset and a Virginia Tech win, it will almost have to be in a box score bingo type scenario. <laughs> Uh, I mean, they could turn it into a slug. They're not. Gonna, they are going to probably struggle against uh, against Clemson's defense. They don't have a lot of big play potential. And Clemson, if you give, you know, you can't dink and dunk against Clemson. They're too fast and they're too good, and you're going to eventually screw up. Um, but they can. I mean, they Virginia Tech's. If if they play a really good, if they play towards their defensive ceiling. Uh, you know, they have an, a tremendous pass defense, a, a high-risk pass defense that, you know, aims for, um, you know, breakups and, in, and, and incompletions and is willing to give up a couple big plays. If that balance goes in their favor, then they can do pretty good things. And then against the run, they, they'll, they're kind of glitchy against the run, but they make a lot of they, – they're good in short yardage and they make a lot of plays behind the line of scrimmage. So if they can do those things uh, and just kind of keep the game at a sloggy pace, like in the teens and whatnot. Right. Then sure. I mean, they absolutely can. They probably won't, but they absolutely can. Um, 
I promise eventually I'll stop talking about Virginia Tech in context to 2017, but 2016 Virginia Tech winning the conference would just be, uh, um, I think I'd have to update, I'd probably have to update my cul-de-sac that I talked about, that I talk about once a week. Um, I think I like Penn State, but I also feel like I need to be talked into Wisconsin. So this one's not as hard, and I'll write about this probably later in the week, but Wisconsin... Yeah, I figured you have a preview coming on this one, right? Yeah, so um, Penn State has improved in a lot of ways. Their passing game, which is poetic with all the things we've said, we and others have said about Hackenberg, their passing game is awesome this year. Their passing game has yeah. improved dramatically, but it's improved mostly in terms of big plays. Um, they still, they, they actually do not run the ball very well, Penn State. And, uh, you know, they use it as much as a distraction to kind of open Because, I mean, when you've got Barkley, uh, you know, opponents still have to mind that, even if he maybe hasn't had quite as good a year this year as, as some of us maybe thought. Um, but they, they open up good big play opportunities downfield. Wisconsin is very disciplined and doesn't give up big plays. Um, and so if you're forcing them to go three, four yards at a time, Penn state really hasn't shown they can do that. They played two really good defenses this year in Ohio state and and Michigan. They only scored 24 against Ohio state because of the kick return at the end. Otherwise they were at 17 or block, uh, block field goal return, I should say. And they scored 10 against, uh, Michigan. So, um, you know that that alone says Wisconsin can win it because they can. Wisconsin can probably hold them to set to 14, 17, 20 points, and if you do that, then you only need to be good at offense on a couple of drives to really give yourself a chance. That one's absolutely. I mean, uh, the numbers right now, S and P has it fifty one forty nine in favor yeah. of Wisconsin. That's not a that's not a score projection. The score projection is twenty four point five to twenty four point two. So I mean, this is a dead on toss up, and I think Penn State maybe is a little on the hotter side. Yes, um, but. Oh, that's someone, that's no, go ahead. that's kind of unfair. Honestly, that's kind of unfair to Wisconsin because I mean Wisconsin beat Nebraska, but then you know handled Northwestern easily in Evanston, whooped Illinois and Purdue like you're supposed to, and then after taking a pretty good shot from from Minnesota, just eased away in two seconds in the fourth quarter. So they are good. Wisconsin is the nice guy you date in between long relationships. We've discussed this. Um, uh, Wisconsin somebody... the guy you end up in a long relationship with after you've no. anyway. We have to, we, we uh, someone asked me about the way Penn State wasn't acknowledging if Barkley was hurt or not, or basically Franklin's like kind of explaining it away or saying everything's fine. Um, I looked at the quotes um, because I am fluent in Franklinese, and um, yes, I'm sure Barkley is banged up and is probably has something nagging from. Uh, the Michigan State game, I don't think that they're hiding some sort of major injury or then scratching him at game time unless unless he's in a situation where he aggravates something this week. I really don't so, think that, that's not his MO. So if I were to put it to go a, a deep dive on the Penn State running game, I'd say if he misses the game or, or at least has to share more carries, might not be the worst thing in the world. So he, his, he is the prototypical all or nothing back. He's averaging 5.3 yards per carry, which is okay. Um, only 35% of those carries gain at least five yards. Like the national average, I believe, is around 40 or 42. So he is getting stopped in the backfield a lot. He's getting stopped for one yard a lot. And then when he get, if he gets past that first level, he goes a very, very long way. But again, the, the, I think the, one of the keys for Penn State in this game is going to be figuring out how to be efficient 
And Mark Allen is at 39%, excuse me, in terms of those five-yard carries. Miles Sanders is at 48%. Andre Robinson's at 40%. So if Barkley doesn't play or doesn't play as much, you're sacrificing big play potential. You're you're doing it in the name of potentially more efficiency. So um, that might not be the worst thing in the world. Uh, It's going to be a good game. It's probably a game of the week. I like Colorado, Washington, but I think Penn State, Wisconsin, because of the evenness, um, and also yeah, this I debated is the most a fun game to analyze. Yeah, I debated writing about this in terms of atmosphere because I really do feel like they get short shrift. Um, I've done this game twice, and I want to say maybe three times. Um, I just have you know holes in my brain. Um, I know I was there for Urban Pizza because I've I've said on the show before I was about four seconds away from catching Urban Pizza, uh, sad pizza golf cart. Um, I just rounded the corner like four seconds. It was either four seconds too late, four seconds too early. Um, so I know I was at that game, and then I was there last year. So um, it's a really good, fun game, and and it shouldn't be because it's another college football game that takes place in an NFL stadium, and in you know one of those NFL stadiums that's new and has nice accommodations, but is in no way like a character driven experience, <laughs> and you know a sea of parking lots, and yet. The way people get up for this game and have embraced this game, um, I think having Penn State there this year is as massive as it as it was oh, to man. have Iowa there last year because the yeah. fans just feed off of, uh, you know, it, it's a great season and it's they feel like it's a great reward. And I guarantee you if you walk through the parking lots, you would have Penn State fans probably saying the exact same thing that the Iowa fans said last year, which is, I kind of hope we go to the uh, to the Rose Bowl. Right. Um, it doesn't make sense to a lot of us who aren't from that culture, but um, it is one of um, it's it's like a really great college football experience, and it shouldn't be because it's in the freaking Colt Stadium, and everyone's like either getting wasted in the most midwestern way possible in front of like fires and like you know piss and rain sideways or snow one year, um, and or like you're at a cheat you know the, the urban strip mall area. I don't know. It's just weird. I've come to really like this game. Uh, also, that stadium uh, it gets really loud. And it's very say, sold like, out all the time. It it sounds loud on TV. I've not been, but it, it's it's a it, it the atmosphere sounds fun watching it on television. And we've actually, I mean, we've been lucky. Last year's game, last year's game was very Big Ten, um, but it had you know the fourth quarter started with a, a ninety yard bomb or whatever, and then you had one of the most amazing. Uh, high degree of difficulty drives ever to finish it. Uh, the Ohio State Michigan State game a couple of years ago in twenty what twenty thirteen I guess three years ago was awesome. Uh, we've had some good games and in, in good environments and um, you know that I won't talk about too much about Ohio State Wisconsin in twenty fourteen although that was impressive in its own way I guess. Um, it did just uh, dawn on me that your your Iowa conspiracy of last year actually has a lot. Like we, we're getting to we're getting to a loose change Infowars level um, with that conspiracy because I just realized I've never co- I hadn't I had never covered an Iowa game as a reporter in my career and then covered the Big Ten title and the Rose Bowl. So I saw I saw what was going on and I put a stop to it. <laughs> well, I, I appreciate I mean, it. My numbers. I don't, we, I don't even think we have Iowa listeners for this to even turn. Oh, yeah, they gave up on me a long time ago. Um, even you though, did. by the way, 22nd, 22nd this year, you're actually good. You just lost close games this time because you won too many close games last year and you ran out of karma, which is something a stat person says a lot. Yeah, and they're never going to forgive you. <laughs> if you're an Iowa fan and you're listening, hey, hit me up, hit me up with, come around a little bit. 
Hit me up with what's better as an Iowa fan. Last year as a whole or just beating Michigan this year? I'm not, and I, I yeah. know that sounds like I'm kind of saying I'm really not. I'm just, I am curious. Like, no, what, it's still last year. I still heavier. say it's last year because 12-0 and 0 is 12-0, and 0, and it's awesome. And and mo- for most of us, college football less so than other sports, but still for most of us, the last chapter isn't necessarily the most fun chapter. Um, last chapter sucked for Iowa. But for 12 games and 50 minutes, for 12.8 games last year, that was an amazing run. And I, I, I would assume they would take that one. I don't know, man. They were so, like, it was, yeah. I walked around that Rose Bowl, and, and people, by and large, did not care that they were getting absolutely raced. Like, yeah, most of them were just drunk, and it was 75 degrees. <laughs> Bill! Yeah. Jefferson Shelton writes in. Jefferson Shelton gave us a $250 donation to the Democracy yes. Prep campaign. By the way, we are closing in on me not having to bother you, the listener, about giving us, the podcast, money for the school, Democracy Prep. Um, we're floating just north of $8,500. We our goal is 10000 before season's end. Um, the sooner you pay that bill, the sooner I shut my mouth. Um, we're getting there. Uh, I do appreciate everyone's donation uh, tremendously. And, and really, this thing, the day has been carried by PAPN listeners who are, by and large, um, you know, uh, kind of flag-waving fans of various G5 underrepresented schools. And that, that is the skeleton of the show. It's not like we don't, we don't talk about um, the Alabamas and the Ohio States and stuff. It's just that we know that the road doesn't end. Um, you know, that there's not 12 It's a lot more fun when you go beyond about 15 teams. Yeah, and, you know, those other teams are just cool. Jefferson says, hey, guys, I uh, just donated. Uh, here's my request. Can you guys talk for um, – he split down the middle, all right? Uh, <laughs> can you guys talk for maybe five to six minutes about what Rice should be looking for in its upcoming coaching search? Um, well, obviously, Rice uh, has settled that they are not going to fire David Bayless, so we'll get to that in a second. And nine to ten minutes about Boise State and Brian Harson. We're gonna have to put a timer on ourselves. Um, and what the numbers say about him? Why aren't there rumors about him leaving? Uh, uh, something about his critics, his haters. Uh, anyway, uh, Family and Food is calling. He wrote. By the way, he gave this donation and wrote this email on Thanksgiving, <laughs> which is awesome. That's I really good, appreciate that. Um, P.S. Can you give a shout out to my wife Carrie, who went to Rice and is much smarter than I am? Absolutely. Hi, Carrie. How are you doing? Um, your husband's uh, probably not as smart as you, but uh, he developed. Sorry, he, to, he, he, sorry just, he didn't help more with Thanksgiving dinner. He, yeah, clearly he was sitting on But yeah, your husband <laughs> sucks. He was sitting on the internet. I guarantee you, you and maybe like your mom and them were probably trying to get stuff together. Lazy ass. Um, but he did have the, um, he had the foresight to donate to charity, so we appreciate that. Um, that's from Jeff Shelton. Um, I don't know about the numbers, Jeff. We'll just probably talk about it and talk too long. But um, let's do. So Bayless not going to get fired. Uh, he wrote this on Thanksgiving. Uh, it was never really a, cl- a case of him getting fired. I-, I talked to a couple people about this. Uh, it's not a story, not to be rude, that like I'm, you know, I've been busy with LSU and been busy like with the Tom Herman stuff of the world. Um, and by you know, it's funny like this podcast hasn't even acknowledged that that's happened. We'll get into all that just down the road. Yeah, we got um, time. We have time. We got a lot of time to talk about Texas. Um, uh, David Bailiff was never really going to get fired. David Bailiff has been at Rice for 10 seasons. He has uh, a pair of 10-win seasons and I think four bowls. Um, that, Bill, is tremendous. Um, that's tremendous relative to not only having to recruit to insanely high academic standards, but having to recruit against uh, 
pretty much everyone in the world in the heart of Houston, including University of Houston, which has different uh, academic standards, um, <laughs> and is red hot, just absolutely red hot. Um, and, and then if you have a kid that might be interested in a Rice-like experience, uh, there's a very good chance that he may end up at Stanford or he may end up at right. Vanderbilt. Um, you know, Pat Fitzgerald and Northwestern are – very, very good about casting the casting the net nationwide. So this is a very, very hard job. Rice is still not sure how it wants to approach big-time college football. Um, the finances aren't always there, which is weird because those people are rich as sin. Um, to put all this on bailiff is uh, a false premise. It's a false premise. So, I would be interested to see I what agree. David Bailiff could do if you put him in, if you if you took five years, which isn't going to happen, and you modeled as much as you could, Rice to be Stanford, I think David Bailiff would be very successful. So, I, well, I agree with a lot of that. This is a very hard job. Um, but I, I, I'm not going to, uh, you know, boldly declare, like, Bailiff's toast. But he, he's probably toast. Um, I don't see how he rallies the program. Let's put it this way. So offense was always their thing. They never really had much of a defense, I don't believe, at least not that I can recall. But they always had a tricky offense that had nice experience and, and good, um, you know, kind of, for lack of a better term, kind of cutting edge spread techniques and a lot of running. And they were really fun to watch when they were uh, both the year they won the, uh, won the conference title and the year before that especially. They were a tremendous team to watch. Um, they don't have an offense anymore. Their defense is still terrible. It was 124th in, in defensive S&P Plus. They were 97th on offense. Uh, and they were 97th on offense with a senior quarterback, a senior uh, running back, and a senior leading the way in the receiving core. They, I think it's done. I think it's done, and I, I was surprised. Not that he wasn't fired. I didn't think he'd be fired. I thought he would retire. Um, he's only 58. So he's got, you know, uh, you know, in theory, that's that's not retirement age for coaches. But I was still I was surprised that he didn't either, I guess, retire or have one of those resignations that kind of felt like it was also firing. Uh, I think he's done, though. I I think they've um, fallen off a cliff in the last three years. And so they won the conference title in 2013. Mm -hmm. They fell to 2014 where they had a bad team, but they still managed to win some games. Then they had a really bad team and fell to tw- uh, five and seven last year, and then this year they have a really bad team and fell to three and nine. I I do not see this turning around. I hope I'm wrong. I love David Bailiff, David jolly old David Bailiff. I love talking about him. I love when he won the bowl game um, uh, in what 2012 and 14 because it allowed me to just post a bunch of happy David Bailiff pic- uh, pictures in my preview the next year because I mean he's awesome, but I don't see him rallying from this. No, I don't either. I don't either, but I also don't think he should be fired. Does that make sense? Well, I mean, like I said, I, I, I expected him to be kind of, uh, well, I don't know. I, I did not, even if it wasn't a firing, I did not expect him to be coaching in 2017. I guess here's why. And, uh, power to him. I, I don't think that uh, the people that are screaming at us right now, why don't you just go out and hire Brett Lashley, or why don't you just go right. hire the next – the next Herman Morris Young dynamic. Te- Why don't you go get uh, Cumbie or Meacham from TC? It doesn't work that way. You the, the structure's not there to succeed like that. Rice either has to fi- Rice needs to figure out what it's going to do in big time college yeah. football. 
By, by the way, big time. I, I'm not trying to sound like a redneck on the radio. I, I just mean like, do you want to win football games in the FBS, or do do you want to do this? Like it's it's. I'm not indicting. Yeah, they hired anybody. I'm not saying like you should lower your admission standards. Like that kid that got that left to go work for a hedge fund or whatever, and you know, because I think he left early. No, I think he actually left work. He, oil and gas is what he did. That's awesome. You know what? If you don't want to risk concussion 12 more times and you have a <laughs> yeah. really good career waiting on you, you are the pinnacle of the student-athlete experience, and I'm sure every NCAA rep I have to run into in the next three months will shove that down my throat. But um, it is telling. So this is a mean thing to do, but uh, let's put it this way. Um, in the 1920s, John Heisman coached at Rice uh, and finished uh, in four Never years. He, he finished 14 and 18 and three. Uh, it's a hard job, and you know they and they they recognize it's a hard job because they not only hired Ken Hatfield, Mister uh, Mister Option in the nineties, um, they they kept him employed for a long time. They they kind of got screwed a little bit. I don't remember what the circumstances were, but, were, but I mean they went seven and four twice and eight and four once and never went to a bowl under Hatfield, which kind of sucks. Uh, I, I realize the nineties weren't you know now in terms of having forty bowls and everything, but that kind of sucks that that never worked out. Uh, then they hired a guy who wasn't necessarily that. They hired Todd Graham. Um, they, you know, big time college football. They they tried to get into that game and he left after a year. Um, Todd Graham. So I think the yeah he left after Todd, a year. Todd, yeah, I know it's it's crazy. Um, totally out of character. Mama but, called. Huh? By the way, David Bailiff is one of my favorites because he's uh, six degrees of separation with both. Um, oh, no, 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 wait. No, he wasn't with Todd Graham. He showed up afterwards. I was thinking that was a continuity hire. Never mind. Um, but, yeah, so they tried that game. Then they went back to David Bailiff, who had a, had a lot of success, I believe, uh, at Texas. Yeah, he went to the, the FCS semifinals with Texas State. Had a nice offensive resume. Employed for a while. A, kid, a, young, a young buck named Tom Herman. And... Um, you know, he just he he has stayed with them, and so they the fact that they're kind of being loyal to him, I think, is awesome. I just it's not going to work out. That was a lot of rice. That was, I think, more than six minutes. I wasn't timing it. Of course, I wasn't timing it. Hey, but. who said that no one's talking about Brian Harson? Um, I know that. Yeah, now I know. Well, I know the email came out a week ago, but Brian Harson's name gets kicked around as, probably about as much as it should. Brian Harson, as I talked about, because I interviewed him a couple weeks ago, is still um, he's chasing that. It's hard to engage the the college football nation the same way that Peterson did, like because if you do go undefeated now at Boise, and when they were on track to go undefeated, we talked about how lackluster it would look as a resume. Um, but also, he hasn't done it yet. Regardless of the resume, he hasn't done it yet. So, I think he's still focused on that. I think he really wants to be at Boise for a long time. I think if a a job. Uh, if the right job calls, he'd go. And I think Oregon has some intriguing. Um, aspects for what he does what he likes to do how they how he kind of knows that area there are a lot of a lot of boxes to check definitely i'm not trying to talk him out of the job or talk him down or anything like that but um i think one of the successful things about harson from boise state's point of view is that they hired another peterson in terms of the commitment really a person who's from there played there very comfortable being there and so uh, oregon's not going to be a job that's that you know, people are going to struggle to find candidates for. Um, so I guess what I'm trying to tell you is that um, don't be – like he is being mentioned, but I don't really expect him to 
go anywhere. God, as soon as I say that, he's going to get hired. Um, and it's a tough thing to measure a coach's equity by how many times they get mentioned in a search. Because if that was the case, Dan Mullen and Mike Gundy would be Urban Meyer and Nick Saban. Get what I'm saying there? Trying not to make anybody mad who might be listening to this. But, uh, you know, sometimes, believe it or not, when certain reporters in the country magically fart out lists for open jobs and they have names on them that don't make a lot of sense, like say you work for like a big newspaper or website or something, and you just crap out a list, um, and you're not really known for being connected with coaches, um, and you, some of the names on the list are kind of funny, uh, there's some agency involved in that. Okay? I talked about this, actually. I wrote a column about this. Um, uh, I don't care. That's fine. Do, do your business. Make, you know, make your money, pay your mortgage. But uh, I am here to educate y'all and to, and to try and not learn you up or anything. I'm, I'm not in the explainer business. But uh, my strong advice is don't measure a coach's equity by how many times he gets mentioned in a search. Um, again, because I don't know how many titles Mike Gundy has won. I think it's zero. So, um, that's, that a, that's me. a little mean. That's a little mean because you know 2011. Oh yeah. All right. I'll give him a half. Let's give him a half. <laughs> third. Give him a third. You just want to do a show where it's three hours, like we just drink a little bit and go through and start giving percentage point national titles to coaches. <laughs> I can think of nothing more attractive. I can give. I'll give Gundy two thirds. I'll give Gundy two okay. thirds. Wow, that's on, uh, that's on 2011. That's now, what polite. am I talking about? LSU would have murdered them. Unless you would have absolutely murdered them, right? A third. They, they I, I would have. I'm gonna, I'm gonna say two tenths. I'm gonna, uh, two tenths, and I help you load it into your truck. But I'm not going any higher. So, okay. So the, to settle 2011, yeah, we can believe LSU would have murdered them, but it would have required an LSU, a different LSU team than ac- the one that actually showed up uh, to play the national title game. Yeah, it doesn't count. Uh, if that team. If that team shows up, again, and that could have been a total psychological Alabama thing, but if that team shows up, OSU wins the national title. And uh, so we'll say a third. We'll say, we'll just, or fourth. Okay, we'll put it at a fourth. He has won a fourth of a national title, which is more than most people. No way that happens, though. The team that played Alabama was specific to the fact they were playing Alabama. How are we always talking about the 2011 national title game? How does this always happen? It's twice today. So Boise State. They didn't pay their money for that. Uh, Boise State is fine. Um, the Mountain West is getting better. The national um, pizzazz has rubbed off a little bit, but they are going to be fine. And I think that they're, they're, they're set up very well and very nice for the future because the Mountain West is caught up. They haven't caught them. The big, Boise's biggest problem of late is just that they managed to screw up. Uh, like, they are, they are, like, year to year, average on average, they are the best team in the conference, but for especially the last two years, um, they just managed to lay a couple of eggs. This year, they didn't, really, they didn't really lay an egg, so to speak, this year. Like last year, you know, they had that weird, what is it, like seven turnover game against Utah State. They lost by 26. Um, year before that, I believe it was also seven turnovers when they lost to Air, Air Force. I think that was the year before. But, um, you know, this year they've been a little less glitchy, but they still managed to, you know, lose by a safety dance against Wyoming. Uh, and then, you know, I think last week's loss to Air Force was was both terrible and unlucky. My stats said they had about an 84%. They averaged 7.4 yards per play, uh, which will almost always win you the game, except 
Um, they also managed to go nine for 26 passing. So they were just two all, all or nothing. It didn't work out, whatever. The teams lose those games. They're still 16th in S&P. Um, they are still, by that measure, the class of the mid-major universe. And um, it, they've just kind of not quite managed to get out of their own way for 12 straight games and, and uh, you know, qualify for the Mount West title game. They're good. They're good. They'll be good again next year. And eventually, Harson will probably get that offer. I doubt he gets Oregon. It wouldn't be the worst hire they could make, though. And, by the, and no, so... No, no. Um, um, would take some go, uh, time to uh, Possibly. I mean, he would certainly need some time to adjust uh, that terrible defense. But, um, you know, that's... that. I, I mean, I, I think he would be fine. I think he'll he'll be a very good head coach somewhere someday. Oregon would make a lot of sense, but yeah, maybe it's maybe it's too early for Oregon. Uh, he hasn't kind of quote unquote finished the job at Boise State yet, the way PJ Fleck has. By the way, PJ Fleck, Oregon, you're the Ducks. PJ Fleck rows boats. Let's not think about this any longer. <laughs> That's just the the end. Uh, you know, I can Greg Schiano. We we were bat, batting that around in in our Slack room this morning. Uh, Greg Schiano, my first uh, re- response to that was to be appalled. And then I realized, well, I mean, if he hires a good OC, then it could absolutely work. Uh, I can talk myself into that, I guess. But let's not think about this anymore. P.J. Fleck is your man, and let's just do that. All right, so Boise State. What else should we talk about with Boise State? I think we're good. I do. I think, I think we're solid there. Um, I, think, I, think it's a, I think it's a decent uh, – I think that was some decent coverage. Boise State is a team that I would like to see play. What's the best opponent possible for Boise right now in a bowl? That's what I would like to see because it's been a while since we've seen them play a big team. A weird, weird – not reliable measuring stick, but it's always, I don't know, it's what keeps them relevant. Yeah. Yeah, and they always end up, when they have a team like this, they always end up playing like Utah in a bowl, and they probably will again this year. Um, now, I would love to see them play, oh, man, I can't even think about feasible. Who did, okay, so who did, uh, who did Jason have them playing last week? Let's see here. Mountain West does get punished in the bulls and just they, yeah, they, bad. they just don't oh, they don't give it. See, it's something crappy, yeah. isn't it? Is it BYU? He has, he has been playing in Boise against Central Michigan. Crappy. See, that's terrible. Like the other options, there's a poinsettia bowl bid where they could play. Um, what Navy? BYU. There's a. They're, they're not, they're not going to rematch them with BYU. Yeah, that's true. They, there's an Arizona bowl bid where they could play like uh, an an Idaho. Okay, I'm in. I'm in. Let's do that. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, 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 that one, that one. Done. That one. That one. Boise State, Idaho. Um, oh, maybe that's that just an not... for SB Nation, like, staffers, but that, when you mentioned Boise State and Idaho, oh, Lord. Yeah, that's like, I think we just got, creden- like, three credentials without applying for that oh, game. Oh, man. Um, all right, we got to keep going. Brian Martin, he gave us money. Okay. He wrote in and he said, I hope it's not too late for the podcast this week. It's not. I will say this, though. Uh, we have two open slots. Uh, get me your money if you want next week. Um, How are we going to do next week, by the way? Do we need to pause next week? Um, no, not necessarily. <laughs> I, I feel like you can handle it. I will be not okay. on the show next week. I'm just going to throw that out there. As a, that, that's really a, weird. It's a bomb right now. Look at that. I've, I'm not leaving the show. I just will not be on the show next week. I will not be talking about myself. We have lined up substitutes, more than one, because not not one person can fill Stephen Godfrey's shoes. Yep, takes a, it takes a whole lot to throw questions to you while I surf the internet and then occasionally swear. Um, Brian Martin writes, "I know you were at the USF game this week. I was, and we're planning to talk about USF anyway. I was, uh, but I like the show, and this is a good cause. Thank you. Uh, if USF is in the show, it is. Uh, it definitely is now." 
I'm interested in knowing your take on the dichotomy of the number two offense and the number 100 defense, according to S and P Plus. With an average, uh, with an average defense, USF is 11 and one, or even 12 and 0. I want to believe that Marlon Mack stays. Uh, if Marlon Mack stays at USF, Taggart will stay with a senior quarterback and senior running back uh, paired next year. This is possible, right? Also, I would prefer that you spend most of the time focused on USF and less on Taggart staying or going. So I would like to hear your <laughs> on that. Are we gonna do that? Damn, Brian. Um, y'all don't have to yeah, do that every time. Look, we, we know how it is. We're not other podcasts. Uh, okay. Uh, South Florida. Uh, we, I don't know. I think we have those tendencies sometimes, but we'll go with it. We're not talking well, about that. I mean, p- part of my job is to talk about what's going on in the coaching landscape, but I don't ever reduce a job to a, I don't ever reduce a school to the coach that's leaving it. Um, I'll put it that way. Um, because South Florida is a very, very interesting case, and it's one of the reasons that I was there, Bill. Um, South Florida on paper is a job that should be uh, Houston-level good in the mid-major. This was a team that, that went up the ladder in that in, the, the ladder to nowhere in Big 12 expansion, uh, really not based on anything other than the fact that they are sitting um, in a really, really prime spot for recruiting in Florida in a, ta- in a city that continues to get bigger, filled with transplants from other places in the United States. And it's sunny. Um, they don't have the facilities. They don't have the stadium. They don't know when they're really going to get any of those things. But it's still a great job. Um, all that being said, why, okay, why is their defense bad right now? Um, it's just a, it's a talent-level situation that they're rebuilding. Uh, the other problem is this. By the way, please read my story at SBNation.com about Willie Taggart. I had to leave a lot on the floor on this one to the point where I'm thinking maybe myself and Richard Johnson go into some of their the, the new play-calling philosophies that – that South Florida has. When Taggart got there, he went to Western. He was a Western Kentucky. He was a, you know, uh, Michigan Eye, West Coast, Stanford kind of adherent. Um, that's probably what you know Taggart from, if you know him at all. And he figured out that that wasn't going to work with the Florida recruiting base. Bud talks about this all the time. You have to be able to utilize the athleticism. You can recruit them, and everybody comes to Florida to recruit them, but you have to use them the right way. Um, it's kind of funny because I think this is a situation. I'm not saying Florida is the next Texas in terms in terms of an absence of defense. They're definitely not. I mean, look at the University of Florida. My, my God, because um, they'll bring the wood. Um, it, I do think it was a talent deficiency issue. The other thing is that F- South Florida goes fast now, and they go yeah. fast now in a way that uh, really debilitates their defense. Not only are they going fast, Bill, they're not running a lot of plays. They're not going fast and zipping down the field and then, may, okay, maybe there's a play stoppage or commercial break, timeout, pen, penalty. They're usually scoring in like four to six plays because they are the number one team in the country right now in plays of over 40 or more yards. I wrote it that in my story. That's why I know that stat. Um, this is all hard on a defense. This is the first year that they've, they've, done the, that they've had this offense. The, the, the idea of this offense has been working for a little over two years. The – the philosophy in which they're calling the plays and the talent level on the offense has peaked in it. So this year is a kind of a thing unto itself. And defenses are having a really tough time accounting for run coverage. Uh, I'm not going to get into like the hardcore X's and O's. Just read my story. I mean, there's a hunk of it in there. And like I said, there's probably two articles worth of stuff that isn't so much about South Florida, but just about uh, like if here's an off season teaser, Baylor is influencing the run game more than any other school in the country. Now Baylor, it's pretty crazy. Um, back on the defensive side of the ball for South Florida, they're going to recruit well. They're just going to have to figure out, is it a matter of recruiting just more depth? Um, 
is it a matter of just like do you do you have to be Houston and Ed Oliver to you know to, to, do you have to land those one or two guys that probably belong in a Power Five a good Power Five program? Otherwise, are you just going to be dinking and dunking? It, it, we don't really know yet. Um, I will say this: I talked to John Janzik, he's the former defensive uh, coordinator at Tennessee. Um, he'll I would think he'll probably be up for some up some bigger job. He's he's only technically the safeties coach down there. He's kind of like a co DC role. Um, cause he was fired from Knoxville last year. Um, <clears throat> yeah, that worked out well. <clears throat> dude, the AAC has a ton of different offenses too. So it's kind of oh, hard yeah. to understand South Florida, like, and a lot of other defenses for that matter. Houston had the same problem. Um, you have SMU, Houston, then you have Navy and Tulane and Navy and Tulane are very different from one another. I mean, you have you have offenses. And what I'm saying is that that spectrum that I just talked about is wider than almost every other conference that I can think of. You get into the Sun Belt and the MAC, you're running an iteration of passing spread, maybe some option mixed in there depending on the athleticism that you have in the backfield. But like the AAC, everybody's doing what Bill and I always tell them to do, which is go be weirdly, wildly different and unique because that's how you're going to attract attention and create matchup problems and potentially wins to nullify the talent discrepancy. Um, and then, you know, Navy's a service academy. So, um, no, I, I just mean that in that, you know, their triple option is kind of what they do, what they run. Right. Um, I don't think that, I mean, when I told Bill I was going to do this story, the, I think the first thing he said to me was, and that's why I didn't really even dwell. When I was summarizing South Florida, I didn't even dwell on S&P. I wanted to mention the explosiveness specifically because South Florida is like a pop gun that, blows up in your hand every third pull of the trigger it's kind of amazing and it's not that they i'm going to be really clear before i throw this to you they are not unhappy with being number one in the nation with a plays of more than 40 yards it's just that it's like a really cool weapon that doesn't necessarily you can't really control it all the time it's so it's it's hard to aim with it if that's a metaphor i can work with so I always like to say that stats start the conversation instead of ending them, and here's an example. Like, without getting into why at all, I can tell you the biggest difference between last year's uh, USF defense and this year's USF defense. I'm going to interrupt a you. That's a, write that down. That's good, Bill. That stats start the conversation. I'm going to make Bill write a book just from podcasting player. I keep going. Keep going. Okay. That was good. Um, so... The biggest difference in uh, USF's defense this year is on their, their, their past defense is approximately the same, except that last year uh, they were 13th in stuff rate, which is the run stops at or behind the line of scrimmage, and they were 27th in adjusted sack rate. This year they are 109th in, in run stuffs, and they are 85th in sack rate. They are not making disruptive plays. If you go down to, and yes, I'm using the wonderful football study hall stat profiles that I very much encourage you to use at all times. Uh, they are wonderful. Uh, and I, I say that not only because I made them. Um, Havoc rate. In, in 2015, they were 38th. In, in 2016, they, were 100, they are 114th. So there are basically two reasons why that might be the case. Either... Well, either you lost a bunch of disruptive guys and you haven't been able to account for them, or you haven't... Something else happened that, that, that kind of has forced you to change your defensive approach. And when you look at, there wasn't that much turnover from last year. 
they really they return about like Augie Sanchez was their return it was their leading tackler last year he's back um among last year's leading tacklers three or so, like four or five were either sophomores or juniors last year they're I think they're all back I don't right offhand I don't recall any massive massive injury problems they've had I could be wrong about that but basically they are not nearly as disruptive up front and uh you could make the case that part of that is playing off of the um uh uh, off of the offensive style. Oh, they, they did lose Eric Lee, the d- defensive end who had 12 tackles for loss last year, but he was, and Jamie bird was pretty disruptive too, but regardless that depth, uh, just pure depth in terms of uh, experience isn't really an issue or shouldn't be, but for whatever reason, they either haven't had the disruptive pieces or they have felt like they need to be more, a little more bend break and not as aggressive. Um, you could certainly make a case that has that has part that is uh, partially due to the fact that they're they 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 are worried about being on the field a lot more. Um, and if they you know the the faster they move or the more aggressive they are on defense, the shorter their possessions are, which means the offense is back on the field for one of their three play possessions, which means you're back on the field. Um, and you can kind of see how that might get out of hand. So I could certainly see that being part of the reason why they're struggling. Although now that I look at it, they only lost like three guys, but it might've been their most three disrupt the three most disruptive guys from last year. So that could have an issue too. Um, the only thing I'll say about Taggart and South Florida is that, uh, if you're South Florida and you want to keep Billy Taggart and you want to be 10 and two, and you want to consistently be 10 and two, um, you got to start acting like Houston. Because guess what? It didn't even work for Houston, man. Yeah. Houston Houston built a brand new stadium, committed to starting on a new practice facility for just for football. Um, by and large, their buildings and their all their sort of structure outside of the stadium is already better than what USF has. USF plays in an NFL stadium that dwarfs and embarrasses them because they're a fan base that's only 20 years old every single time they have a home game. Or, the, or Florida State comes in there and just takes it over. Um, you gotta start doing stuff, man. You just gotta start doing stuff. I, I can't really get into much more of that because I'm working on some stuff. Even acknowledging that probably leads you to think one thing or the other, and I don't want you to. But um, yeah, you gotta. If you are in the AAC and your coach catches fire, you better be behind him pouring gasoline on it. Otherwise, they're gonna yeah. leave. It's just and it is, I mean, look, it is, I, no, go ahead. No, I was going to say, I, I think this is, I mean, like you said, the, the fan base is what it is. And the stadium, the, I mean, the fact that USF has almost never had a true home environment for a home game in terms of just a loud on campus, lots of students, full place. You, you, you're just almost never going to have that where, where you play home games. Um, and I don't even know if that can change or if changing it would help. Uh, you listen to Tampa native Ryan Nanny talk, that might not be the case. Uh, that it would help. So I think your your best plan of action here is like you have a lot to offer a, a random up and comer. Um, and if or when Willie Taggart leaves, he'll leave. Uh, might not be this year, but he'll leave. Have a succession plan in place. So you go, you know, be the Boise State slash Arkansas State model where, you know, we're going to do really well and then our guy's going to leave and we have a plan to replace him with somebody else awesome. Whether that's like a David Reeves type who's already on the staff, whether that's whether it's just maintaining a list of other up and comers who are in the are in Conference USA or Sunbelt or whatever, that it's kind of a step below you. 
whatever it is, have your, uh, have your plan in place for when he leaves, give him whatever support he has while he's there and accept that he's going to leave. And when he leaves, be ready to move to the next awesome guy. Cause you can always, I mean, you can always attract a young up and comer who wants to prove he can recruit, who wants to prove he can win games because you are always going to have Florida, uh, in your title, uh, and, and relatively uh, decent access to a lot of talent, you will always have that. You will always have the ability to, to attract an exciting young coach, but you will probably never have the ability to keep him. Uh, so accept it. Be like accept your identity uh, and be ready to move. What do you think about David Reeves as a as a kind of a successor type for him? By the way, hmm, um, it's possible. Um, I'd put him on a short no, list. I just said um, it because he's the he's the quote unquote associate head coach. So yeah, um, uh, the thing about Reeves really is. Means- he, you know, much like Taggart, who's from uh, played at Bradenton, Bradenton Manatee High. Um, Reeves knows Tampa. He's from. He's basically from that area. It's been home. I mean, he grew up in a coach's family, so he bounced around. But like, he knows Tampa extremely well, and I think that does help. But because Reeves has been there, I, it's not like you. Uh, you could hire Reeves as head coach for two years, and then if Reeves is successful using some of what or all of what Willie did with his players, they're still going to have the same problems if they aren't getting behind them and if they aren't making facility and, and, and budget commitments. It's just it's because you're not getting the, the minimum 25, maximum, you know, maybe $40 million. We don't even know what Big Ten is going to generate by school by revenue. We think we do. Um, you're, you're getting like less than a, less than a million. So, um, you gotta either get insane like Houston or, or get left. I mean, that's what, that's what the TV stuff really does. This is, we're witnessing it right now because the recruiting area that you're in quality of life and everything else like that in Florida, like it's, it's great. It's top notch. Um, it's just that one issue. Um, yeah, I love I love Reeves' resume, by the way, in terms of screaming the word recruiting over and over again. He was Steve Spurrier's recruiting coordinator at South Carolina. He went to Tennessee for a year with Lane Kiffin. He went to New Mexico for two years with Mike Loxley, and then he was the, an instructor at IMG Academy for a year before he landed on the U.S. Oh, staff. he's insanely well-connected. Yeah. And for no, those- I was about to say that. You cannot build better connections than uh, the ones he built between, what, 06 and 2012 before he showed up. So, kind of campfire story about Tennessee in 09 is that um, amongst some funnier stuff I cannot repeat publicly, uh, they were going to murder people in recruiting if they stay. Like the parallel universe in which they stay with Kiffin, Jim Chaney, um, Jim Chaney not really as a recruiter, but Ogeron, Lance Thompson, Reeves, like it was going to be something. It really was. Um, they were in the process of building that into a thing. It's just, you know, what what happened happened. Um, Reeves, by the way, is the uh, is Layla Kiffin's brother. He is actually Lane's. Oh, that's right. That's he right. He's Lane's brother-in-law. Um, so I, <laughs> I tree family kind of. Yeah. Um, by the way, I, let me just say um, that the Willie Taggart piece. If you haven't read it already, you probably have. Uh, if you have not, do it because it might be my favorite Stephen Godfrey piece that I've ever read. <gasps> Thanks, Bay. Just wanted to throw that out. I there. mean, I like Colorado. It wasn't my favorite thing you've ever written, but no, it's just it was a cut. It was uh, it, there, it was written in a Stephen Godfrey voice. It had technical details. It had long term details. It was very well done. It was, it was written at a Stephen Godfrey pace, which was a day late, and finished it at three thirty in the morning. So I don't know if that so, shows up. Yeah, I, you could have almost said hi to me when I got up that next morning. Oh God, I'm still tired. Um, 
Uh, before we get out of here, Bill, plug America's team because you wrote about Colorado. That's up right now, and then I know you've got previewy stuff coming. But you, Oof, boy, there's a lot of mic action going on right oh, now. Oh, sorry, you took apart. Um, and, uh, took apart always connotates bad, doesn't it? I guess I should I should rephrase that. It makes you, it sound like it was an autopsy. Yeah, you look. Uh, yeah, autopsy of a winner. Um, Colorado's good right now, and this is this is as Cinderella as it possibly gets. Fair to say. Yeah, I've been, um, because I really wanted to write the piece that went up yesterday, I had the idea about a month ago, and I really, really, really started secret rooting for Colorado to win games so that I could write, not only because they're America's team, but because I could write this story, which was basically putting Colorado's 2016 season in uh, in the terms of your annual dream season. It doesn't happen every year. Um which I guess disputes the very first sentence of my piece, which is that it happens every year. It happens almost every year that we get a story of of a random team that was most likely pretty experienced, most likely had a bunch of injuries and close losses the year before, but not always. Um, And that comes back together and then just everything falls into place. So much of college football is, um, you know, if, well, like I said in the, in the piece, like, what is it? The top se- of the of the top seven teams in the preseason AP top, well, okay, <laughs> preseason AP AP top seven. Of those top seven teams, five of them are are still are now in the top seven, and a sixth is like at number twelve. So not much changes, but almost every year, some team in the top fifteen was unranked in the preseason, probably had a losing season last year, uh, and nobody saw it coming. And that's kind of since most of us don't root for Alabama or um, you know one of the top or Ohio State or Michigan, although a lot of people do, most of us don't, and uh, we get so much. We come back every year because maybe this is the year that it's our turn to have the dream season. Missouri has sucked the last two years. There hasn't been a lot more fun, but I've been, I'm not okay with it, but I still have memories of 2013 in my head. And that's kind of, and and its cousin, and its slightly less successful cousin, 2014. Uh, I still have that in my head, and that's enough to kind of. Hey, 2014 Missouri's pretty. It was pretty in its own way, and it was fun. Um, and And it had a nice ending. But, um, but so anyway, yeah, the piece, I, I really enjoyed it. So like the, you know, I broke it into like the categories of, of how things play out, like the optimism in spring where everybody's getting healthy, uh, referred it back to 1993, April or 1993, Wisconsin, when they basically had a big, uh, mess of injuries the year before lost a ton of close games, but they were, they were pretty sure they're pretty sure they had things going in the way they wanted them. And then they did most of the time they don't, but whatever. Uh, but anyway, kind of went through the fall buzz and early statement wins and the random setback and the the the, the moment where really I'm not going to say I wrote this piece just so I could refer to Henry Josie's touchdown run in 2013 against Texas A&M in which I absolutely cried watching, but uh, I got to I got to reference it in there and I got to tie it to uh, Colorado having the big uh, seconds well the the strip of the quarterback at the end returning for a touchdown basically icing the game rushing the field. That was a moment. I almost went to Colorado just on the off chance that I could experience that moment. Um, but I've, been, I've I have experienced that moment, and I know what it was like. And I think um, it was just—it's awesome. It's why you pay attention, just in case it's your time. It's your turn to uh, experience that. And if you haven't, or if you haven't in a long time, you still know you might, and you might not see it coming. And you know, it's awesome. So that was—I was happy for. I'm happy for Colorado, and I'm happy for me that Colorado kept winning, so I could write that piece. Bill. We gotta go. Yes. We gotta go. 
Um, we will get back to box scores at some point. We have, yeah, uh, been, no, we yeah. have overloaded ourselves with topics of late, and so we haven't done as much with box score, um, but we will get back to that. So um, be sure to follow Bill's uh, Bill's previews. I have news. Just check the freaking website. I'm, I'm not going to get into all of it here, but, like, yeah, obviously we was following and breaking news and trying to break news and competing. Just out there competing today, Bill, on uh, at Ogeron, Tom Herman in Texas, uh, you know, as far as the, this podcast as a platform, we're not really going to bog it down with the minute to minute. But we'll we'll sit back and think and talk. I can tell a lot of stories. I actually am looking forward to the off season just to talk and tell stories about what happened this year, some stuff. And then um, I'll be on assignment uh, next week. We will have a Sunday show. It'll be the last uh, S and P Plus ranking um, of the season. Then we'll do one more uh, when the actual season is done, completely done, when the national title is over. Um, and then, uh, so, uh, we'll be back this Sunday, this show next week, I will be gone for Bill will be here with uh, a couple different guests to fill, um, my vast shoes or whatever. An impossible void, but we'll try. Then that next Sunday, no show. Um, because then we go back to a weekly for, we're going to go back to a weekly format, um, until we figure out what to do with the off season. So that the, basically you can always count on the Wednesday show. And I'm being this specific as people, man, we're late or change things. We hear about it and we love y'all for that. <laughs> so I just want to be super clear show this Sunday show next week that I'm not on. Then the Sunday show stop Wednesday. We'll keep trucking along all through the off season. Obviously um, it really will probably give us a little freedom to kind of push the Wednesday show to closer to two hours. Oh, um, God, yeah. But okay, so uh, you can follow Bill uh, on Twitter uh, at SBN. Uh, uh, yep, yeah, at SBN underscore Bill C. I'm at thirty eight Godfrey. Uh, give us your damn money. Uh, we are we are at eight thousand five hundred and twenty two dollars as I write this. So you're less than fifteen hundred dollars away from me shutting up about this. Um, it's uh, how all much, going. How to, much do they have to to raise to get the back tattoo, the lower back tattoo? Uh, what is it of though? Does it matter? Oh, I, mean, I said I'd get Saints logo on my ass at one point, but I, I mean, I'm not doing that for $1,500. If somebody wants to write me a check for ten grand, i will do it. Uh, I was going to say, that, that's past 10 If we get to 10 we can keep trying to raise in case there's another benchmark out there, including ass. I mean, yeah, someone, if someone, I'm not saying gets us to 10 someone hands us $10,000, I'll get it, uh, a Saints flirly tattooed on my ass, no problem. Yeah. Just wanted to make that, I just wanted to make sure everybody knew that was still on the table. Uh, I mean, I'm cri- I'm ripping from from Spencer because he got the Totoro Michigan tattoo, but um, yeah, I mean, that's just the first thing. I don't pierce anything because I don't think most piercings aren't permanent. So, um, I mean, I'm not afraid of getting something pierced, but anyway, uh, but yeah. So that's our show this week. Um, we are in the thick of it, uh, so forgive our forgive our craziness for uh, for for it. I feel like is this abbreviated, Bill? How long do we go? No, we we ended up. Uh, this is hour twenty, so we're good. No no abbreviation. Oh, neat. Okay. All right, guys, we'll, uh, we'll see you Sunday.